Taste of Reason, Episode 8. Uh, my name is Andre. I'm joined by my esteemed co-host and arch-nemesis, Levan. He is indeed here, actually. He, he's staring off into space and drooling. Levan, why do you have so many damn Funko Pops? Funko Pops? Yeah. What the hell are Funko Pops? All those little, like, plastic figurines you collect? Just, like, stacking right, the shelves right, with them? right. I'm a minimalist, man. I don't know what you're talking about, but... I think consumerism is the devil and capitalism Uh-oh. is the father of, of the devil. The devil. Who, who's the Wait, devil's father? Does that make capitalism God? I Was think God the father of Satan? Satan. I don't think so. I think it's a different family. Hmm. They like live down the street. Um, but, but Jesus had all of like the nice stuff, like the Xbox and the GameCube and the Razor Scooter, and Satan didn't have anything. It was actually, it's a, it's a very tragic story. It's in the Bible. The Bible is one big tragedy. Yeah. It's almost Shakespearean. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be diving into consumerism. Um, this is a topic that, I feel like every show I say this, this is a topic that we felt was pertinent. But no, you know, I, I think we enjoy talking about the degradation of our society on the show. We like talking about the various things that are going to ultimately bring an end to our civilization as we know it. And I actually think this is probably the most consequential topic that we're going to discuss. I think it surpasses World War III as like a very real threat that humanity faces. Right, right. No, I mean, this idea of consumerism, I mean, it's linked to everything, right? Our economic model, the environment, our well-being. It's kind of uh, a practical point that we can focus on. um, And maybe we can try to parse out ways in which um, we can maybe modify this system. I guess we can't really modify it. What am I even talking about? Maybe ways in which we can re-incentivize um, the system to reduce the amount of consumerism. Because by all accounts, it's a bad thing, right? Reducing the amount or of is it? Or is it? What if it leads to economic growth and economic growth is what lifts everyone out of poverty and all this stuff? We're going we're gonna to talk about all these things, right? Yeah. Because it's all connected there's all these different arguments. Um, we're going to take a look at everything. But maybe to start things out, let's kind of take a few steps back and get down maybe to, let's call it the philosophical origins of what consumerism is and is not. So maybe the first question that I can bring up to you is maybe this notion of, are we consumers as a, like, as a species by default? Is it something innate in our nature that makes us consumers? I think in general, there is utility to have resources, right? When you're you're talking about the animal kingdom, uh, with humans in particular, it's it's even more pronounced. Um, Within human uh, ancestral history, we see that resources begin to have uh, an increasingly larger share of relevance in terms of status mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so status has utility in terms of 
acquiring mates. Um, and that's fundamentally what evolution is about, right? Reproduction. So you can kind of trace consumerism back to reproduction. And I think it is actually something very unique to our species where if you think about the metaphorical baboon tribe, baboon, (laughs) baboon, I I can't, I can't say it, baboon, baboon, God, I hate baboons, but you know, they have their tribe, whatever they're called, like a a tribe of baboons. (laughs) Eventually we're going to have to actually figure out what the scientific uh, term is for a group of baboons. It's called a troop. So this every podcast, I think we reference a damn troop of baboons. Um, back to the point, though, this kind of consumption as a signaling of status. I don't know if it necessarily exists in the wild, so to speak, where we don't have baboons or, or, or lions hoarding food or kind of acquiring things that elevates their status above other animals. Right. I mean, think about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I was actually completely wrong in what I said. (laughs) All right. Only humans acquire resources. I mean, there are some animals that use resources and that, um, like, like you see it with, with birds, right? When it comes to signaling. That's true. Um, for mate selection. Um, you might see it in beavers. Uh, you might see it in certain animals but it actually is yeah i wasn't completely wrong but it's 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 rare relatively speaking but within the human species and within um within primates in general uh i I think it starts to become more and more relevant in the modern day now we see actually a complete like exaggeration it's almost like the peacock's tail equivalent of consumption conspicuous consumption right right and so you, you see wealthy people will, will buy the, just absolute the fanciest cars. They'll buy just the craziest things possible, say, to, you know, impress women or <laughs> to impress other people to gain more power and status. And then ultimately, why are they doing it? Maybe they don't realize it subconsciously, probably ultimately traces back down to reproduction as we have. Discussed. But I, th- I, I think on the kind of the scale of human civilization, that's a pretty new development mass consumption or consumption by which you can signal status i think there is kind of a a distinct difference and maybe this ties back into some of our thinking around the animal kingdom but there's a difference between consumption and then survival right this notion that i have to consume water or else i'm gonna die or this notion of oh my gosh i have to consume food or else i'm gonna die it's a stark difference than oh man i have to have the latest maserati in my garage or oh my gosh i have to have the latest funko pop added to my collection and i think that is a very much a product of maybe mass industrialization that started taking place in the 18th and 19th centuries but it's also kind of a the more we're democratizing the process of consumption, the more it's indicative that we're moving forward as a species to a certain extent. And what I mean by this is that if you think about the Middle Ages, where you had kind of this survival tier consumption happening, maybe in the peasant classes, right? And I can think about like a feudal system or a feudal model where the peasants very much were 
only really consuming in this kind of definition that I'm just talking about for the sake of survival, right? They were growing food. Maybe they'd sell it to some fat lord somewhere, but they were growing food to eat. They were fishing to eat. They were drinking water to eat. <laughs> that, that, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the vacuum brain taking over. But none of this was done to kind of excess, right? It was kind of, there wasn't an option to have a surplus of food to store in your shack, things along those lines. But if you contrast that to nobility, where that's actually where you start seeing this element of consumption for consumption's sake coming into play, right? Tapestries, fine clothing, fine wines. The sort of approach to consumption, I think, was very limited to a particular class of people. And it kind of really accelerated as he had global trade taking off, you know, the merchants of Venice and whatnot. And for a while, I think that it wasn't really available to the masses. And in recent history, I'd say, is when you kind of have this democratization of consumption happening where everybody's partaking in it, where everybody is able to go and buy a car or buy a house. Well, I mean, I guess our prospects are kind of shit right now, but, you know, go to the mall and buy clothing and the introduction of credit and you could buy shit you can't afford that's all pretty new and it's kind of a deviation i think from this very primal nature of like i'm consuming to survive to i'm surviving to consume almost. well you know i know you're right they've kind of hijacked these innate desires and instincts that we have yeah to acquire resources to consume and you know w- with especially with marketing these days and advertising you see that there's a lot of manipulation going on, right? Right. And there's there's a lot of encouraging people to consume as much as possible because this, I mean, this is the economic model that we have. And a lot of economics these days is based on consumption. I think um, th- there's that stat that consumer spending makes up about 70% mm-hmm. of economic activity in the United States. So consumerism is capitalism if you think about it it's this stage of capitalism definitely right and i think to your point it's gotten to and i think this is actually you know we're talking about recent developments i think this is something that maybe we've even started witnessing within our lifespans is kind of the totality of consumption where it's permeates everything where i i think in our country there's very seldom a space at this point that is not defined and dominated by either being pushed to consume or our acts of consumption. And I'd even make the argument that in recent history with the pandemic and the shift to all of these kind of online engagements where consumption is, is now become like a very simple and convenient thing to do where you can stay in bed all day. You can order all the things you want on Amazon and as you're kind of on your phone throughout the day, you're continuously blasted by advertising, right? Right. And it's sort of that consumption has left this realm of exclusivity, and it's become the dominating factor in all of our lives. And I think to your point, this is very much an element of the capitalist system, but it it's become an <laughs> all-consuming element right. of capitalism by which we experience it today. Exactly. No, exactly. And 
it, it's interesting to kind of frame it in, in, in the following way, because there's this technical definition of consumerism, right? And it, and it says, consumerism is the theory that individuals who consume goods and services in large quantities will be better off. Now, that's kind of the concept, the theory. The actual observation that we have is that it's not actually making us better off, <laughs> right? I mean, once you get your basic necessities... Um, are you really better off by just buying a bunch of completely unnecessary products? And we know from certain psychological studies, like um, what Daniel Kahneman looked at uh, on unhappiness, he found, I think it's like 75K, beyond that amount uh, of income, you don't really increase in happiness, right? And and that income is directly related to your consumption, mm-hmm. right? The greater your income, the more you can consume. Not saying everyone, you know, consumes uh, proportional to their income, but generally speaking, that's, I think, what happens. Um, yeah, so what is your take on this mismatch between what we are being sold mm-hmm. in terms of economic in terms of the economic model that is essentially governing our lives mm-hmm. and what is actually occurring in terms of our well-being and satisfaction. I, I think that this kind of draws on a conversation we had way back in episode three, where this notion of what makes for meaning, meaningful life, what defines human existence. And I think consumerism is now the force that governs these sort of empty spaces that we have maybe that in the past have been filled by religion or have been filled by some sort of like grandiose patriotic purpose right in the absence of a lot of that i think we're turning to things like consumption to define our existence to, to fill the void to fill the void right we're consuming into the void t-shirt idea I'm just saying <laughs> um and i i think that that's something I'm not really sure if it's a natural occurring thing or if this is something that's brought about by intense marketing, intense kind of per, the, the, the really like pervasive nature of brands and corporations in our lives. It, it, you know, it doesn't, there doesn't have to be one answer, right? Mm-hmm. It, it has to be a combination, right? There, again, like there's these natural tendencies and then there's marketing. There's a system that we're in, which is encouraging this. Um, yeah, I mean, from every angle we're, we're being bombarded with the, uh, compulsion to, to, to buy more and more things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's other side effects to this, right? There's the environmental damage that is occurring due to the sheer amount of pollution, Yeah, right? All these cheap crap that we get from China, like where does it end up in the landfill? And then you know, toxins leach out and, you know, they, they go into the soil, they, they, they leak in the aquifers, the water's contaminated, right. entire ecosystems become devastated. There's a stat, I think, that we dump 12 million tons of plastic into the ocean every year, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, people don't care, man. They're just, no. they, 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 they don't see it. You know, you, you dump into the ocean, it's not there. It's not your problem. It's going to be our problem, and I think all that, of our problems soon enough. That's very much a symptom of this kind of stage in economic development. And I think 
it's important to kind of isolate that we're very much discussing this, I think, within the parameters of the United States. And I think maybe you could have a similar conversation with other countries. But I think the rate at which the U.S. grew economically in the past hundred years has created this sort of model of consumption where the consumers themselves are detached from the consequences of their actions. We're kind of detached from the supply chain, so to speak, where you might go and buy a T-shirt from H&M and we have no idea of where the shirt was made, what the conditions were under which this, this shirt was made, maybe the amount that the worker making the shirt was being paid. I mean, well, and, there, there's a direct parallel as well to factory farming yeah. and consumption of meat. Right. right. I mean, if you think about the poultry industry, right, it's absolute horrific what they're doing to chickens. We don't really know. You know, we just buy the pack at the store. Maybe we'll watch like a documentary about it afterwards to feel better about ourselves. But there's it doesn't translate directly to our lives. And I think that's, again, symptomatic of this kind of deviation away from consumption for survival sake, where maybe you had the experience of killing a chicken and skinning it before you eat it versus buying it at the grocery store where it's available in bulk. Let me, let me ask you this question. Do you think... How, how much of this is the individual consumer contributing to the problem in terms right. of always wanting cheap things? They're not like, you know, going to spend the extra money for locally made items right. or goods, right? How much of it is the individual and how much of it would you say is coming from the corporate overlords? <laughs> I think you're, you basically just rephrase the chicken and egg problem, right? It's a little hard to pin it down. I think that the the desire for profit probably escalated a lot of these things. But I imagine, especially, you know, you go to small towns that, and, you know, in the countryside that are dying out. Maybe they had some sort of purpose 50, 60 years ago, but now it's sort of gone. There is this like lamentation over the fact that Oh, things were so much better back then. I could go to the store across the street and get everything I want. But now there's the Walmart that moved in and, and squeezed all of us out. Did we want that? I mean, is, is that something that individual consumers wanted? I'm not sure. Did we have a say in things like NAFTA being passed, right? That really kind of generated a lot of this like mass consumption culture on, on the North American continent. Pissed a lot of people off. A lot of like, unions got absolutely decimated by this stuff. I don't think it's something they really wanted to bring about. To that point, I think there was this metaphorical dollar sign in the eyes of the, I guess, I'm going to say it, the capitalist class, um, that they knew that maybe if certain restrictions were lifted and if they were able to kind of provide cheaper products that people would kind of gravitate to that just by sheer kind of laws of physics almost. I don't think this is something that maybe the individual desired kind of specifically. I think it's kind of... But once you're engulfed in, right. in it, then, right. then you're kind of, you know, you go through the motions essentially, right? I mean, and this is actually something that I, I've been thinking about, especially as we've been preparing for this episode. You know, a few moments back, we established this kind of example of feudalist feudalist feudalistic feudalist feudal whatever that society where the lords and the ladies had their like luxury goods and whatnot and the peasants had to subside off whatever i actually think in many ways we're sort of entering into like a reverse feudal system where 
it's the virtuous and um maybe a sign of class to buy local to pay extra money for locally grown produce or you know ethically slaughtered chickens and but everything. what percentage of people are doing that right it's still the exactly. very privileged so this is this is my point it's a privileged thing to opt out of mass consumption whereas somebody that's making minimum wage probably isn't going to be thinking too much about the chicken they're buying at walmart right so the decision maybe to move away from consumerism is almost a signaling of elitism to a certain standpoint so we're that, that's what i'm talking about this like reverse feudal arrangement i shop at whole foods Am I elite? Is that I, what you're saying? I think if we, and, and I think by all means, you and I are not part of the elite. I mean, this podcast does God have a whole like 30 <laughs> listeners. Um, but I think that we at least have the choice to change our shopping habits, right? To maybe make a decision that maybe we'll go to the local butcher shop instead of going to, which it's actually cheaper apparently than buying your meat at the store. But not everybody has that decision. I think the majority of people don't have that decision. I, I think you make an interesting point, though, because when you, when you look at the quality of the products that you can actually that you buy that are locally produced, they tend to be higher, right, than the mm-hmm. cheaper items that we import from from China and elsewhere. So, could you make a logical case that we should actually prefer to pay more for certain items, um, and would that be persuasive to the larger public, right? Because on some level, if someone's buying multiple versions of the same thing because it's cheap and it keeps, you know, breaking or whatever, I mean, if they bought one item and it lasted far longer, mm-hmm. why isn't why isn't that a more attractive option? Is it is it again a sort of brainwashing that's going on on some level? Like what? What is preventing us from moving more towards that? Is it the initial price tag that's just too much of a barrier? It's probably like a psychological barrier, maybe? I I think the price tag has a lot to do with it. I think, generally speaking, people will gravitate to the cheapest option. It's sort of maybe even like a natural occurring thing. And I, I thought about this a bit when you mentioned your point about environmental impact. And I've been reading a bit about fast fashion and how it's impacting the environment. And you have, like, to your original point, massive landfills in Southeast Asia that are just piled up with all this crap that Westerners buy from H&M and whatnot. And this has actually been coming up a lot with TikTok, where TikTok has, like, this very interesting pressure it puts on people to constantly appear fresh and, like, wearing something new. It's kind of the phenomenon of, like, wearing something twice to school in the same week and people like notice it, but this is like happening on the internet. So a lot of kind of younger people that are in that quote unquote TikTok generation are turning to fast fashion labels like Sheen or shine or whatever the hell I can't pronounce anything today, but where you can buy like a pair of pants or a dress for like 10, 15 bucks and they buy it and they wear it on these TikTok videos and they throw it away. And you have this kind of culture of like fashion halls where everybody shows off like these outfits they bought but then they end up in a landfill pretty quickly thereafter. And this is like, I mean, I guess a good frame of reference for your question, where if we point to like, okay, you can buy that same exact dress for $120. It's made from cotton grown in the United States and made ethically in, in you know, Los Angeles or, some, or something. But somebody that's got a budget of 50 bucks 
is going to move towards the cheaper option regardless because it's not really about i think the substance of what you buy to your original point it's about kind of the image of i have this thing i have lots of this thing maybe it is signaling opulence to a certain extent sure no that makes sense um i think this kind of touches on the earlier point that you made about how consumerism um i guess relates to having a meaningful life like what kind of impact and interaction there is between those two ideas i was thinking about this if we did more creating and less consuming what would the world look like in that scenario what would how how would our meaning be impacted right the meaning that we have in our lives how would that change if people just consumed less and created more right because the opposite of consumption is creation mm-hmm. and throughout human history we tended to create things right yeah. buildings stone tools occasionally once art, in a while work i don't know uh kitchen equipment or cooking and storage equipment cave, cave, right? cave paintings cave paintings um clothes right like all these things like people took pride in and it was kind of a part of their daily lives everyone was to some extent creating in some way now we've kind of maybe lost that a little mm-hmm. bit yeah. obviously we have plenty of people that create content <laughs> right digital yeah. content uh but kind of a lot of these other forms of creation like if you're talking about furniture or clothing it's done on a mass scale yeah. by you know essentially slave labor right sure and so even the people in i mean even the people that are creating right in the modern day are not actually deriving any meaning from it because obviously at that scale, I mean, the significance and relevance of what you're doing, it loses so much value. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I just want to pose this question to you again, like what would that world look like if, if we consumed less and each individual created more, right. Where these markets were more local like what would that dynamic look like do you think we would have more meaningful lives maybe even happier lives i think the answer is yes but let me pivot and throw the question back to you with the additional context around it of do you think that's even possible do you think we could ever go back to this kind of more creation quote unquote focused mindset do we have time? I mean, if we're caught in this sort of vicious cycle of we have to work long hours so that we can afford the things we consume, afford healthcare, which, you know, that's like a bare minimum. But is there any room left for us to move into this kind of creative approach? And I think this is exactly the point of this rise of a quote unquote creative class, where it's people who have the resources and the time to sit back and record podcasts uh, and kind of have leisure time, which is, I think it's a very small percentage of our kind of economic force that could actually do that. So, I mean, do you think it's even possible to get back to this point? Yeah. Several angles to this, right? Like one is if we continue down kind of the level of technological advancement, I think AI is going to be taking over, right? And they're going to be doing a lot of the work we don't want to do. And they're going to make things even cheaper than they are, Mm -hmm. right? 
And so it's going to be even more difficult for the locally produced human-made products to compete against the robot-made products. So if, if that's kind of the trajectory uh, that we go down, um, then I think we're probably not going to get to this, you know, uh, not utopian uh, hypothetical situation here. But um, I think that I think it would make it very difficult. Um, I think I, I could see some sort of massive um, pandemic or some natural disaster. Another thing that disrupts like kind of the global supply chain where people have to start producing more locally, maybe even reduces the human population. Oh like boy. that could end up producing um, societies where there's a higher emphasis on producing things locally, producing everything that you need locally because you cannot rely uh, on, on these very fragile supply chains, which which we have clearly seen with 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 the COVID pandemic, right? But it hasn't like we we've seen it, but, but we, I, we 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 we've seen the fragility. Yeah, okay, it hasn't collapsed, but it clearly can, especially if if COVID was slightly more dangerous. It's entirely conceivable that we would be kind of focusing more on local production. I mean, to some extent, there's already t talk of this. There's already some action that corresponds to this. But um, obviously, because of just the sheer scale and, and volume um, of production worldwide, like it, it's always going to make those goods cheaper. It's always going to be like very attractive option for businesses, right? Um, the, the other kind of possibility is if we all become enlightened individuals and we look at our capitalistic model and we say, okay, right now, yes, it's cheaper to import these things from China, but they suck. And we're also creating a geopolitically difficult or dangerous situation by sort of being tied to China. And, uh, you know, like with, with the semiconductors, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I was in Taiwan. Is Ta Taiwan part of a... China. Uh oh, what, what's the? It's <laughs> what's their I, what's their official stance? Either way, if we're gonna take a stance in this, we're gonna be taking a stance. Even if we we actually now that you willed it into existence, we have to answer this question. Damn, can we cut this? Do we do we cut this out? Are we really gonna cut? We're gonna fold like uh, who was who who folded? There was like a huge celebrity that. Oh, what's God, his name? Uh, John Cena. John Cena. And there was someone else too. No. Oh. Taiwan's in it. Jackie Chan folded a long ja time ago. What did he fold on? on? On Taiwan. I think for all intents and purposes, Taiwan is an independent country. Okay. Oh, shit. So what I was saying is, yeah, we, we have that dependence on them for semiconductors, right? Yeah. And that is... I mean, that's a national security issue, right? Due to the due to the importance of semiconductors and technology. But th that's a great point. It's like some space brain out there thought it would be a good idea, cheaper, to outsource production for all these things. I mean, you know, even setting aside like the sensitive and sophisticated technology that you need for a microchip, but something as simple as like N95 masks. 
the pandemic hit and it's like, oh, wait, we have almost no domestic production of this anymore. Like, what? You know, it's... Right. And this kind of goes back to the point about us being detached from our supply chain, where because of a lot of this manufacturing has been outsourced to other countries, we don't see the environmental impacts of it. I mean, we have like lasting scars. You know, the better part of the Rust Belt is just like one super fun site after the other. But I think largely speaking, we don't see the nastiness of what mass iPhone production does to the environment, right? And I think you're right in saying that these kind of global shakeups like the pandemic really point out how unsustainable these models are, even if they do bring about some like elementary cost savings. But ultimately, I don't think people care. And I don't think... Well, there's, there, there is this dogmatic adherence to profitability. And I mean, there's also obligations to shareholders. So shareholders yeah as, as long as that's the case and it seems like it will be for the foreseeable future um yeah there's not really a great way out of it i guess again to like go back to this very unlikely scenario that i was alluding to okay if we somehow reach a more enlightened stage of uh our culture becomes more enlightened let's just say is there a way that we could reframe or reconfigure our economic system to incentivize locally produced goods? Could we tax goods that are made, let's say, out of state or <laughs> subsidize goods that are made in state? I'm, I'm pretty sure the tariff question was like a huge issue in the foundation of the United States. I don't know if we're going back to that. And also, I don't. Do you think there's political will to do it if so much of politics is controlled by financial interests? I mean, would any investor willingly like isolate his potential profits for the sake of localized production? I think this is going to have to be like one of those grassroots things where people just kind of start rejecting. And you know, to your point, I don't know if it's as futile as I'm making it sound because I think individuals are generally frustrated by the nature of like the products they can access for instance that half the stuff you can buy is of cheap quality you know it doesn't last and you and there's always this like hearkening back to like oh damn like my granddad's cast iron skillet that he had since like 1930 still works fine you know but is but is this okay let me ask you this is it a fantasy though to think about it this way because perhaps it's a necessity that things are the way they are, you know, in terms of having all these cheap products because of the volume that's required. Right. Because of the sheer population on the planet. Right. 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 So are, are, are we a little delusional in thinking even that it's possible to, to kind of go back to this more local model? I mean, maybe yes, but is it also unethical to do so? I mean... If we have percentages of our population that are striving to get to a certain economic status so they themselves can then buy the metaphorical Maserati, is it unethical to deprive them of the possibility of doing that at the same kind of cost and expense as everybody else did? Does that make sense? I mean, if we, if there are percentages of our population that can actively partake in higher levels of consumption and then it's determined that, you know what, this isn't working and we're going to go back to maybe some other version of it. 
it's going to piss a lot of people off, I think. And I actually, I'm trying to think of a scenario, historically speaking, within human history, that we've ever moved backwards as opposed to forwards, right? Like where once the floodgates were opened and we introduced, you know, industrialization, new processes for like developing steel, like all of these landmark moments in our modern day economic activity. I don't think we've ever had a point where we're like, hey, you know what, like, let's go the other way. We're, we're, we're not okay with this level of development. We're going to start things over and go back to just like raising goats and whatnot. Fair enough. Is, is there, okay, but have we been thinking about this in a, maybe too constrained, maybe yeah. in a way that's too constrained. For example, we keep going back to this idea of like locally produced goods, right? But is it possible, um, first of all, to have higher quality goods that are done at a mass scale? Yes, that is definitely like, it is a possibility with AI and robots. That might be a certainty that it will occur, right? Higher quality products for very cheap uh, prices. But could we, through, say, education, battle the underlying issue of, like, overconsumption, right? Because, yeah, you know, if something's cheap, it's going to be more tempting to purchase, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be as big of a cost to you. So, if... Is it possible through education to change viewpoints on this and change our kind of atmosphere of consumption? I think so, but I think it's going to have to come down to the education that we impart on an individual basis, as in like from one generation to the next within a family setting or in a community setting. I don't know if this is something that we could bring about via schooling or something like that because i think that i mean if you think about post the corporate lobbyists would not allow public education to be infiltrated by this nonsense but the nonsense is always going to win out i mean sorry the the corporate side right. of things is going right. to win out because you're always going to have like the, the, the presence of tiktok in the background or the presence of like mass marketing and algorithm driven marketing which we could talk about in a little bit here but i think like when you're saying this i was thinking about this like analogy that people sold out the soviet union for like a better quality salami where you know i i think there's definitely consumption happening in the soviet union and there's definitely you know commerce and people buying things and you know different consumer goods being produced but that was ultimately speaking you can make the argument that what doom the soviet union is that the consumer goods they had were inferior quality to the ones offered by the west and the opportunity for mass consumption was ultimately speaking far more intriguing and um i'd say promising to vast majorities of populations in the eastern bloc i mean to say nothing for the repressive you know security regimes and whatnot but there is this kind of sense of at least when looking at the way that Russia developed in the 1990s, where at first there was like this euphoria that, oh my gosh, we can now buy Levi's jeans, like really, really cheap. And oh my gosh, we could like fly to different countries and we could do all these things. But then that was also kind of met with this sort of cynicism of like, oh, this isn't worth shit. But I'm 
describing that to, to illustrate a situation where even if you try to have like a mass education campaign funded by the government or whatnot or by nonprofits to teach people from a young age that hey consumption is mass consumption is unethical it's destructive you know this is the consequences it has on the environments and on working people in different countries but then you have some dude flexing on tiktok like that's always going to win out because that's programmed to win out and we can't resist that so i think it has to happen at like you got to go full amish i think is the only option right that's not an attractive option either well let me ask you this question why, why isn't it attractive to be on and that's maybe that's in the future podcast episode. well you know what? On some level, there is there is some attraction to that idea, right? Maybe we over romanticize it. They, well, yeah, the the, commu- the communal aspect of it is is interesting. Yeah, but there's other aspects of Amish culture that are probably uh, outweighing my desire to sure. <laughs> to join their community. Are there any Armenian Amish? Is that is that a, is that a thing? I don't think so. Oh, hopefully not. Well, that's an investigation. We've already got enough embarrassment with uh, Kim Kardashian. As a representative of Armenia, if we had a Armenian Amish community, that I mean, God, they probably keep to themselves. Mm, yeah, well, that good. Um, implications of unhinged consumerism. Well, let me start this this portion off by kind of posing a question to you: is is if it's possible to have ethical consumption? is you know can you have can you exist in today's economic model on an ethical level like what can you do as an individual consumer to to maybe make things better man man i i think you only have so much mental bandwidth so if everyone just focused on one corporation that they want to boycott or protest to maybe spark some change, mm-hmm. right? To produce some sort of response from that organization. Um, that could be like one strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I, I, I think it's a matter of self-reflection. It's a matter of thinking about your own consumption. Right. And noticing that you don't need all the shit. You just don't need it. Um, I don't know. To me, it'd be, it, it's very, like, obvious, right? Like, I've never had to think about it too much. But a lot, I think a lot of people do struggle to recognize that they are mindlessly consuming. Mm-hmm. So how do you stop mindless consumption, Andre? And I think that it might not be possible to stop mindless consumption. Are we just zombies? I th- I don't want to get into like the metaphysical, like oh, we're just we're just zombies in the machine, man. But I think that there is something like catastrophically unique about our current economic model right now, where. Cons- like we, we talked about this when we started the show, but consumption is basically like permeated every element of our lives. And I think it's gotten to the point, my position is that it's starting to warp reality where we had this conversation a while back about this question of like, Hey, do we live in a simulation or not? 
a while back, right? Right. Yeah, a while back. Um, and I can't remember the conversation we had, but it, I thought about this the other day that, yeah, actually, we do, in fact, live in a simulation in the sense that we live in a reality that's kind of been constructed to induce and drive our potential kind of consumeristic behavior. That's right? an 8,000 IQ yeah. idea. This, this, is, this is some space brain stuff, but where everything is molded by the marketing we've consumed, going back to a point you made in the last episode about free will and whatnot, I think even that in itself has been warped by this constant like peppering of ads and slogans and it's kind of entered into our almost like mimetic behaviors right where we can reference commercials to one another right you're almost saying like if we had free will the advertisers have figured out how to dismantle it and or, or replace it with you the, know, basically yeah. what what they want us maybe to they've do. been able to harness the human will right and I, I think it's kind of the state in which consumption is now like getting into different spheres of life, like politics, where now brands have to make political decisions. And depending on which political stance they take is going to influence how a consumer might move forward in that relationship, so to speak. Right. I mean, you have freaking like KFC, like issuing statements of solidarity for like abortion rights. You know, I, I, I'm assuming they did. I don't know. I, have, I haven't checked their Twitter account, but I guarantee if you looked it up, they probably, you know, KFC supports Roe v. Wade and whatnot. But I mean, what, what the hell? Like, why does Colonel Sanders with his fucking face and glasses have to make a, a statement on something that's happening kind of in our political life? Right. And, and it's moving into. Yeah, to the point where it's almost kind of warped how we perceive international politics. Where we've talked about this, like when we discussed World War Three a few episodes back, and we referenced it a you couple. Love that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this notion of like the Avengerification of American foreign policy, where everything. By the public I like that did you come up with that term no i think i i think i stole that from somewhere all right well maybe your iq is not eight thousand. maybe it's like seven thousand five hundred. I, I think the more i talk the more the iq just like slowly evaporates you started at sixteen thousand. it's like so. i'm like vegeta in dragon ball z with the little like you know oh yeah Anyways, so what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how is consumerism shaping? How is it leaving the bounds of like commerce and moving into other spheres of, of influence, if that makes sense? Other spheres of influence. Um, other ways in general in which it's affecting us beyond just the direct like consumption and usage of the products. Maybe I'll kind of reframe it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's like as discussed it's affecting our well-being at a subconscious level because we continue to think that by having nicer more or nicer things it will make us happy again the studies show that this is not necessarily the case um it's also creating some unhappiness by virtue of comparison to people who do have more right mm -hmm. a sort of instagram culture um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it leaches into every aspect of society. I mean, you can't really contain it 
right? Like it, any variable is essentially affected by this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question, but it was some sort of answer, I guess. <laughs> it, was it was an answer. An answer, yes. An answer. And this kind of does play into something I saw in a YouTube documentary when I was preparing for the show. And they were talking about um, the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. And the general like premise of the novel is that a young man sells his soul so that he would have eternal youth to continue living his kind of hedonistic late 19th century lifestyle. And he would be unaffected by a lot of like the nonsense he would do to himself and other people. It would, you know, wouldn't change the way he looked, but there was a portrait in the attic that would slowly get like uglier and uglier over time. And the point this documentary was making is that we're almost entering into this kind of arrangement with our consumptive behaviors and our expectations for consumption that we're foregoing a lot of the historic trappings of adult life and, and maturity to continue to consume right and it's kind of this question of are we not taking responsibility for the world around us are we not taking responsibility for the impacts of our consumption to preserve the act of consuming right to get the next xbox to get the next playstation what are we on like five Something like that. Yeah, one of those. Um, and we're sort of hyper-focused on this modern-day hedonism to buy into experience and get that next dopamine rush while, like, there is somewhere in this world something that's turning ugly and, and horrid based off of these habits. And I think that's a pretty interesting way to think about it, where we don't see the impacts of our behaviors, but they're still, they're still out there. Well, that's because... It, uh, we're, we're being influenced by the simulation that is, you know, essentially constructing yeah. bits and pieces of the world right. that we understand, that right. we experience. Life brought to you by Amazon. Could be worse, man. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is as bad as it gets. I don't know. Um, where do we go from here yeah and I, and I wanted to circle back to this question because you actually brought up a very important line of thinking for the future and you kept on talking about the integration of artificial intelligence robotics i mean what are the implications of these things for the continued harnessing of our consumerism i mean what does it mean when we start introducing machine learning algor algorithms and personalized advertising well, it's interesting, actually, because AI could, companies could figure out that an AI, when I say AI, I mean like an AGI, right? An artificial general intelligence. Mm -hmm. So that, that implies a certain level of intelligence, right? Um, Not unlike this show. <laughs> exactly. Um, th th this AGI could actually figure out how to make products that are infinitely more compelling for us to purchase right so in a sense exacerbate this the current levels of consumerism to to something that we wouldn't even recognize right um it could be so tempting i mean we, we, we could be living in a sort of you know wally dystopian <laughs> future where we purely consume i mean as bad as consumerism is today there's still some amount of creation right right 
uh, a lot of creationism in religious circles even <laughs> i don't know that was a good one that was, man that was not good that was good you're you're like three steps ahead of the baboon on the curve you know the tribe or troop of baboons 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 or baboons i don't know man they're terrifying baboons when you say it quickly it sounds baboons baboons okay yeah hey this is a good way to, to get our, our audience of three involved um tweet us at radius underscore of how the hell do you pronounce this what do you mean radius underscore of that's our twitter no not not the twitter handle the word baboon baboon yeah right 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 that's exactly what we were just talking about yeah that that one thing that we <laughs> yeah All right well so i don't i i think that we're not really ready for what this next stage of algorithm and, and data processing is going to bring about and we don't really have at least in the United States, I know Europe is a little further ahead with it, but we don't really have any regulations in place to place to place, place to ensure that this is the most <laughs> vacuum brain episode we've had for sure. It, it gets worse and worse, man. Um, as I was saying, uh, there's nothing in place to kind of prevent like the absolute acceleration of like data capture and data analysis by AI to to produce like individually tailored components um there's a pretty interesting like i don't want to call it science fiction but it was it was what was said to be a quote-unquote thought experiment by google other people are suspicious of its true intentions uh, called the selfish ledger which would basically be like an algorithm pulling found a way to sneak it always <laughs> you always found a way. always i finally won this was the first topic that you brought up that uh, that we did not do planning, yeah that we were potentially going to do an entire podcast on yeah and then donald trump uh yeah capitalized but basically the selfish ledger would create like through the mass amounts of data that google gathers it would be able to create individualized products and market those products to you based off of what it knows um that you have that you like <laughs> um iq's i don't know man it rapidly dropping so in short i think it would be great to change things but i believe that it's a little too late and the floodgates have opened wow this is a very depressing episode because i think i mean i'm sure the audience uh can tell that we have really desperately we have really desperately struggled to find jesus christ it just keeps going we have Desperately tried to find a solution to this. And I think it's clear that we have not. We haven't really even come close. So yeah, it's 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 a bit depressing, I guess. All right. Up next, um to those of you who inquired about the t-shirts that were promised on the last episode. Did we really promise t-shirts last episode? You actually promised. No, I did. Oh, shit. It was me. Yeah, yeah we promised t-shirts of uh, a certain sack of potatoes. 
but you know we've had issues with our supplier and uh, yeah. so you guys are gonna have to wait on that but uh, the workers in our sweatshop decided to unionize uh we rolled in some consultants from amazon to help us bust the unions <laughs> but it is not going well um our point of contact down in unspecified corner of an unspecified country in south america has stopped responding to our inquiries so it's going to take a little bit to get those figured out right so for those of you who are still waiting for the shirts just uh just keep waiting just keep listening to every single podcast you'll get them eventually and with that um i think another successful vacuum brained episode the most vacuum brained of them all we'll see you next time on the radius of reason for perhaps an even more vacuum brained episode stay safe out there